Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. If you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, if you're watching here on YouTube, please don't forget to smash the subscribe button. Click the bell for continued notifications whenever I drop new content. You'll get a notification if you if you click that bell. And then also, if this episode is helpful for you, give me a thumbs up. If it's not, give me a thumbs down. Let me know why in the comments section. Crazy, crazy week last week. I was just getting back from Mexico. I got back from Mexico on Wednesday. And then uh, as I was getting back from Mexico on Wednesday, I come down with a stomach bug that's still hanging on at this very moment. And so in the midst of that, getting ready and, and, and prepped for a, for a Lord's day yesterday, uh, with, with half the time to do it. It's a crazy, crazy week, but, uh, the Lord made it happen. And, and, uh, we got through yesterday and, and it was a glorious Lord's day and, and enjoyed by all, I think, and got to present some pictures from the trip down there, uh, visited, uh, one of the works down there that we support. Um, and so, uh, here we are, uh, there have been requests to, uh, to do a couple of videos on the issues that are uh, that are going on. Of course, when I was in transit on the way back was kind of when all the Twitter and the Facebook stuff was blowing up um, about some of the things that I just posted right quick uh, over my phone. And uh, James White got involved in it, and then he <clears throat> did a dividing line. I'm not going to respond to any of that, but but out of that uh, came a uh, a request uh, to do a video on on some of these issues uh, again to speak to speak on them more thoroughly so so here I am and um, I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna look first at God's attributes because that's been a question uh, dr. white brought up how you know God's attributes are are you know it's it, it there's some kind of an absurdity implied in saying that God's attributes are identified with one another so we're gonna look at that first and then we'll look at uh, some more uh, Trinitarian stuff uh, in the second half of this episode. Probably won't be too long of an episode, maybe 20 minutes. Uh, but, you know, I usually put my foot in my mouth at the 20-minute mark as I fly past it, and it ends up being 40 minutes long. So we'll see. Um, are God's attributes all identical to one another? First, first of all, a lot of, most of the time, most of the instances in which in which that that question is asked, the the uh, somebody's jumping the gun, and they're jumping the gun because they're asking a question. The answer to which flows from prior questions and answers that that need to be asked and answered, right? And one of those one of those questions would be, what is the significance of the Shema in Deuteronomy six four? What does it mean to say that God is one? All right, when we say that God is one. What does that mean? What are the implications of that statement? Um, and, and you might think of it in creaturely terms, right? You, you could say, well, Josh is one. There is no other, there is no other Josh. Um, well, yeah, in, that's, <clears throat> in that sense, I'm one. I'm an individual person. But I, don't, I certainly don't stand alone, uh, which is what the, that, that's the purpose of Deuteronomy 6.4, is to, is to proclaim that Israel's God was the one God and and stood alone from all of the other supposed gods, right? And and was set apart from them, I'll say, uh, self-existent, depended on no one, 
was not served by human hands, but but was 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 uh, had had all of the subsistence in and of himself, and so. Uh, that's something that I can't say about myself. That's a way in which I'm not one, right? Because there are other human beings, uh, and and I'm different from those other human beings in terms of distinct several distinguishing factors, accidental properties that I have: color of hair, color of skin, uh, height, width, uh, all of these different things. Facial hair, <coughs> hair, which usually I don't have. Um, and so on and so forth, right? So there are there are things that distinguish me. One, uh, you know, the things that distinguish me from other people. And classically, we would refer to those things as parts. And the reason those are those are those are parts, or or at least we could call them properties that distinguish me from another person, is because those are things that that make me up. They they are Josh's makeup, if you will, and and they they distinguish me, they determine my distinction from other, other human beings. God's not like that, right? Number one uh, reason is because God is not a God among many gods. He's not a God in a pantheon of gods. He's not, he's not, um, he's not competing for godness. He's not just participating in a particular way in the, in the perfection of godness or anything like that. He is God and there is none like him. He is the only one, all right? So that's a that's a way in which God is one that I cannot be like uh, that I cannot be like him. I'm not one in that way. Um, but there's more to it than that. So uh, when we say when we say God is, we're making a substantial claim. Whatever we predicate about God at that point, we're 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 making a substantial claim. So God is light. God is love. We're, we're making a substantial or uh, uh, identification claim. God is this or that perfection. And when we say God is one, we're making an identity claim that God is one. That's a substantial claim. Okay, so, so what's the implications of that statement? The implications of that statement is uh, that God cannot be made up of, of attributes. He's not, he's not, a, he's not a conglomerate of distinct attributes. All right. So, um, if he were a conglomerate of distinct attributes, we could not make the substantial statement. God is one. The substantial statement in that case would be more like God is, uh, made up of love and justice and, and mercy and, and power and, and holiness. And we could just go on and, and list a bunch of, uh, of attributes. That would be what the substantial claim would look like. Uh, that would be what the identity claim would look like if God indeed was just a conglomerate of his attributes. Um, so the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, God is one, requires us to say that, no, God is is one um, in a very unqualified sense. Um, he has a numerically uh, unique and singular essence. All right, That's what he is. Uh, he doesn't have it. That's what he is, um, and so uh, when you when you when you when you go to the other side of of the mouth and you say, well, but he has these attributes that accrue to him that are not that are not identical to him, um, and thus they don't all become one essence essentially. 
um, then, then what you have to say is that God is a conglomerate of those things, that God is a collection of the attributes. That's what God is. And that's contrary to the claim of Deuteronomy 6.4 and the rest of, of, of the doctrine of the divine unity as you see it through the, throughout the rest of Scripture. Um, so that's a, that's a question. We could, we could talk more about that, but that's a, that's a component of the conversation that's being missed. What does it mean to say God is one? And I think sometimes people just, just take that to mean that, well, it just means that he's the only God, right? It just means that he's the only God, um, that there, that there, that there isn't, you know, uh, a pantheon of gods. That's all it means. And then they move on to the, to the follow on question without, without really examining, uh, the fullness of the implications of that statement, God is one. It's a substantial claim. And so I think we need to treat it like that. It's a metaphysical claim, in fact. And so um, if God is one, then he's not a conglomerate of his, of his attributes. I can't say that Josh is one uh, in, a, in terms of substance. I, I'm not one substance, right? Uh, I, if to identify me with, with one substance would be like to identify me with, with the one human nature. I would be the the one human nature. You can't do that. Um, it would also be to say that that I'm not made up of anything that makes me what I am, i.e., a soul and a body, body parts, uh, you know, uh, will, intellect, and the soul, and all of this. All of these different, real, really distinct things that that exist in me to make me up to be who I am. Um, and so you couldn't just make the unqualified substantial claim that Josh is one. That would not be accurate to say that. Uh, it would not be accurate to make that uh, claim in terms of a metaphysical, uh, metaphysical claim. Um, and so, uh, but, but it is of God, because God's not, God's not dependent on something that is less than himself to be what he is. All right. And that's essentially, that's, that's the real, that's the real crux of the matter. Uh, and, and we've, you know, we've kind of looked at the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6.4, and, and now we get to the real heart of the matter. You know, what does it mean for God to be one? And, and, and we could talk more about that. But, but what's the implications of saying that God has multiple attributes that are really different and really distinct in himself? Um, and the implication would be that you would have to say that God depends on this or that or this or that attribute, which is more basic than himself, to be what he is. Um, and you ask yourself the question, well, I, how, how, would that, how would that follow? Well, it would follow in this sense. Um, if God did not have power, uh, he would be a different God, right? Or he would not be God at all we might say, or if God did not have love, he would be a different God, right? Uh, if God did not have mercy, he would be a different God. If you're, if you're, if you're thinking of God as a conglomerate of his attributes and you just do a mental, do a mental experiment, you know, what would it, what would it mean to remove one of those attributes? It would mean a change in God, right? Uh, from, from, from greater to lesser, from lesser to greater, uh, subtraction, addition, right? Um, and so what does that entail? Well, that entails dependence. God depends on those attributes to be who he is. That's what you would have to say. And it's a functional denial of God's self-existence. So if you deny simplicity, what you actually end up doing, uh, is you, is, is you end up denying or, or laying the groundwork for a denial of God's self-existence, 
also a denial of God's immutability um, because simplicity denies also uh, the admixture of actuality and potentiality in God because God is pure actuality. He's not a He's not a mixture of both. He cannot be actualized by another, so to speak. And so, um, it, it, divine simplicity, understanding that God's attributes, as we enumerate them, you know, from the from the standpoint of creatures, we're enumerating those attributes as they've been revealed to us. They've been revealed to us. In other words, we've received revelation of these attributes through a work of God, which is divine revelation, right? Revelation is not God himself. Revelation is something that God does. We have to understand that. We have to make that distinction. And so revelation is something that God does concerning himself. He reveals himself through revelation. Um, and he also reveals his will through revelation. Um, and, and we, but we have to keep in mind that when, when we're listing out God's attributes, we're doing so because we are creatures. Um, we, we're, we, we think discursively, we think in, in terms of order and process, and God doesn't exist in terms of process. So how do creatures who think only in terms of process do theology? Well, they do theology in terms of process. And so they're obviously doing theology in a way that's not proper to the divine essence because we, we have to, there's no other way we can do it, right? There's, you know, uh, one of the most important statements I think that were reaffirmed, um, during the time of the Reformation, and it was really with regard to the uh, the Lord's Supper, was finitum non capax infinity, which is the finite cannot comprehend the infinite. And we are finite, God is infinite. So there's a particular way in which we speak about God that is not necessarily proper to the divine essence. And that's because we're using, you know, finite thought, we're using finite language to to talk about God. And so we have to understand that. If we don't understand that, then we begin mixing the finite up with the infinite. We begin, you know, shoving creaturely categories into the divine essence, and then we make God into a creature, just a, just a greater, more powerful creature, and I don't think that's the way any of us want to go. All right, that's a lot on the doctrine of God. That's a lot on the, on the divine attributes. Um, so all that to say uh, that when we talk about God's divine attributes, we're doing so in creaturely terms, the reality is that there is no real distinction between God's attributes in God. So when we say that God God is his attributes, um, we're not saying that God is part love or, or, or part, you know, mercy or, or, or grace or, or part justice or anything like that. We're saying that, no, the attributes uh, do not come together to make God who he is, um, the attributes are substantial claims that we make about the one divine essence, right? So, so in that sense, if you're talking about God in himself, uh, you, you are, you, you have to, you have to consider all the attributes as one. They all become one thing. They all become, they're, they're, they're all one God, right? And so, um, that's a little bit that's a little bit confusing for us to for us to think about because we're we're used to dividing these things up and think and we, we unwittingly consider these things to be parts of God, but that's not that's not the case. And it's really imperfect language that we have to use to talk about God anyway, so it makes things more confusing. But really, um, God is identified entirely, not just partially, but entirely with love. 
God is love, right? That's a substantial claim. God is mercy. God is um, justice. God is power. Think about his metaphysical attributes. God is uh, his, his power. God is his presence. God is his knowledge, and so on and so forth. And so uh, those things cannot be separated or, or really distinct from the divine essence, and they cannot be really distinct in the divine essence, all right? Um, so uh, hopefully that's, that's, that's a helpful conversation on, on the way we can think about, about God's attributes. And, and, and by the way, let me just reaffirm the fact that you have to come to that conclusion if you want to preserve the aseity of God. Uh, because if you don't, if you don't, hold to the fact that, that, that God's attributes are not really distinct in him, uh, but that they are all one, of one essence, then what ends up happening is you have to say that there, are, that there are constituent parts in God that make him what he is, and without them, without this group of attributes or this particular attribute, he would not be who he is. And, and then what that is, is a de- it's a dependent statement. You're, you're, it's, a, it's a statement of contingency. And we don't, there's no contingency in God. And if there's no contingency in God, there can't be any parts in God, right? Uh, a, good, a good book on, on that is All That Is In God by James Dolezal. If you're just getting into this conversation, just go get that book. That's what you need to read. And, um, and it, will, it will help immensely in your understanding of the discussion. Now, to move on to the Trinity. Several questions have been asked about the Trinity and about the Incarnation in particular, uh, as both of those um, doctrines relate to something like divine simplicity, immutability, impassibility, and I, I can't get into everything here, but as we consider, as we consider the the doctrine of the Trinity, all right, we're we're not talking about a community of three persons, all right. That's not what the Trinity is, and when when you when you come to the conclusion that that's what the Trinity is based on the reading of the text, which many do, um, and I could name names, uh, then what what's happening is you're not assuming the partitive exegesis that is required to do Trinitarian hermeneutics. In other words, you're not assuming the distinction between theologia and oikonomia, or theology, God in himself, and economy, what God does, God's effects, all right? And what ends up happening is you read something like John 17, um, the high priestly prayer of Jesus to his Father, and you end up reading an effect, i.e. the incarnation, back into the divine substance or the divine essence. And that's what's going on a lot now, is, is, is that things that are proper to the incarnate human nature of Christ are being read back into the divine nature. You have to remember that the person of the Son is a divine person who has taken to himself the fullness of a human nature. And that human nature does not uh, add to or subtract from the divine essence. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't import anything into the divine essence. It doesn't take anything away from the divine essence. And so if you can keep that in mind while you read your Bibles, then you'll always make that distinction when you come to language where you have the Son, um, you know, talking about the Father's will. Uh, and so instead of concluding, well, that then in God there must be two, at least two different wills, you would say, no, this is Jesus talking to the Father according to his human nature, 
along with which he has a human will. All right? So obviously there are two distinct wills in John 17 in play, the Father's will or the will of God and Jesus' will according to his human nature. All right? um, but there are not two distinct wills in the Godhead. All right? We have to remember that there is a human nature that has been brought into the equation in, in passages like John 17. Instead of forgetting that, you, you just, you end up reading, I don't know, it's weird because it's like, it's like people are reading John 17 as if um, God, according to his divine nature, is talking to God according to his divine nature. Um, and, and, and then they're getting all confused because they're saying, well, this must mean that there are multiple wills in God because Jesus is God after all. And he's talking to the father who's also God. And then the human nature and the significance and the import of the human nature of Christ is totally left out of the equation. Um, and, and I think part of that is the assumption that, um, it's the assumption that either the, the human nature is swallowed up in the divinity, um, or it's the assumption that there that, that there's really no significance to the human nature, or it's the assumption that uh, what Jesus Christ is in his human nature is also what he is in his divine nature uh, identifiably, which in, in which case you have a you have a reading of God's effects back into the, God's essence, um, which is never a good thing. Uh, and so we have to remember that 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 you know that that distinction always needs to come into play between the divine and human natures in terms of the incarnation. Now, what about the Trinity? I mentioned that the Trinity is it's it's often assumed that the Trinity is just a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in part because of that assumption about the human nature of Christ or the lack thereof, right? Um, because what's going on now and the way that people are getting to a uh, a, a kind of theistic personalism or or a a uh, social trinitarianism we might say is because of how they're reading the incarnational passages back into the divine essence all right so so we've just addressed that that's that's one thing that needs to be considered but but what are some other things that we could say about about the holy trinity uh that would kind of smooth out some of these issues well uh the the thing we need to understand is that the one divine essence which we talked about at the first in the first half or the first you know three quarters or whatever of this episode the one divine essence, the, when we say there are three persons in the Godhead, we're saying there are three distinct ways, three eternally distinct ways, modes, relations, persons, in which the one divine essence eternally exists. All right? So we're not saying there are uh, there are there's there's this one divine essence, and then there are these three substances that somehow accrue to the divine essence, or live in the divine essence, or something like that. I think that a lot of times that's that's kind of the thinking that's going on because the technical terminology in terms of the Trinity is not being understood. Which which I you know this is this is something that I need to say at this point that I've been learning more about. All right, I've been coming to knowledge about this. This is something I haven't you know I didn't know this. 10 years ago. I didn't know this five years ago in the way that I, I would articulate it now. So, uh, you know, given, given what's been out there for a number of years, uh, we can have a lot of grace and understanding when it comes to how much ignorance there is on the doctrine of the Trinity. All right. So nobody should be acting as if they're above other people, uh, in terms of their understanding. I think we can proceed in this, in this discussion humbly and 
And I do think it helps to uh, to call others to repentance when they when they dig their feet in uh, to to what's what's not good Trinitarianism. I think that there's a place for even learned theologians to say, "Hey, I don't know everything I I need to know on this yet, and and I'm just going to take a break and study right before I speak on this again." And that's unfortunately that's not happening. Um, and so anyway, um, when we're talking about the Trinity. We need to understand that the, the persons are not are not just three substances in a substance in a sing, united together in a single substance. I, you know, I think that's when when you're having the conversation, it almost comes off as if that's the kind of assumption that's being made, even among some preeminent um, theologians. Uh, and um, and so we need to be careful that 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 that's not how we're thinking of the divine Trinity. Rather. We need to put the essence first. Singular, essence, one. God is one. God is one. And what Scripture reveals to us is that that one, what, eternally exists in three distinct relations. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the term person has been used, the term relation has been used, the term uh, mode has been used in the case of uh, Francis Turretin and, and others. A lot of the Protestant scholastics did not flinch at using that term, and it's not to be understood in in the same way that modalism is understood. Modalism understands God as a single person who just reveals himself in different modes throughout redemptive history. No, this is this is a this is a this is a metaphysical claim. The 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 one divine essence eternally exists in three ways. How does so? When you ask the question, how does, in what manner, does the one divine essence exist? And the answer would be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. And so this this changes a lot. Uh, it should change a lot in terms of your thinking, because now you can't say that there are three wills in that equation. You can't say that there are three wills in that equation. Because will, if will is a property of nature, which I believe it is, what is a what is a uh, uh, what is a will apart from nature? I I, I don't know. Uh, what is a will apart from essence? If it doesn't have substance, what would it be? So it, it has to accrue to nature, essence, substance, etc. And so if that's the case, then there's one will, all right, in in the divine essence. There's there's one will. And that one will uh, is eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, so there's one will uh, subsisting in three relations. All right, So we don't have three wills that come together to make up a community of persons or community of minds or intellects or centers of consciousness or whatever. We have one essence that eternally subsists in three distinct relations or persons or modes. And, and so that means that there's one, everything that accrues to, to essence, which is all of God's attributes, everything, uh, is, is eternally subsistent, eternally existent in those three distinct persons. This is why we say all the persons are equal, right? There's no gradation. There's no, no one person that's greater, you know, than the other, uh, in terms of substance. There's no one person that's, that has more attributes than another, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, and this is because uh, this is because they they're they're all partakers to use the the imperfect language uh, of the one divine essence and 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 
to say it in a better, more precise way, the one divine essence subsists fully in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That, those are that's the modes or the relations in which the one divine essence exists, and so they obviously each have the same attributes, right? Because it's the same essence dwelling in each one, in each relation, existing in each one. So, uh, with that said, I'm a little bit over time, almost 10 minutes here, and I'll, I'll go ahead and close out. Don't forget to check out the Substack website, uh, joshsummer.substack.com. I haven't written on that in a couple of weeks because I've been so busy, but I, I look to to restart that and, uh, and, and keep up on the, the website now. Uh, I haven't announced this yet, and I'll announce this more clearly in another episode, is now uh, thebaptistbroadcast.com. So if you go to thebaptistbroadcast.com or if you still use joshsummer.org, you'll see that uh, it's, it, it, it'll change, the, it'll change the, the URL. I want to be sure that that's accurate. Um, let's see here. Yeah, thebaptistbroadcast.com is what it'll change it to. And the reason for that is I'm going to be uh, inviting other authors to, to write on here. So I obviously don't want it to just be my name on the URL. It is the Baptist broadcast. And so there will be other contributors, Lord willing. So God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day.